Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern. Man, oh man, today has been a day full of changes and updates. Honestly, it was all over Twitter that it should be illegal to have this many breaking news stories, but some coaching changes in the league. Stars are out. Uh, we'll talk about the, C- the series and uh, several of them being even. All NBA teams and awards that have been announced over the last couple of days. And then everyone's favorite segment, plead their case. But to start, some coaching changes throughout the NBA. Stan Van Gundy, surprise, is out after one season. Scott Brooks, not as big of a surprise, but him and the Wizards decided to depart uh, after five seasons together. This now leaves NOLA, Indy, Portland, Orlando, Washington, and Boston all in need of a coach. So based off of the late breaking news and all the vacancies what do you think of the two most attractive destinations well from a pure coaching standpoint i would want to go to new orleans just because they have easily the longest window with which they can possibly compete with given that their roster right now is constructed of a bunch of young players who are already either at an all-star level or close to it and probably have their best basketball ahead of them. So um, just for longevity, for potential ceiling, coaching all-time generational type talent in Zion Williamson, um, there's Brandon Ingram, there's Lonzo Ball if they retain him. Um, it's, it's a team that honestly is probably the best situation to step into also because since they're young players that have already um, gotten their one or two losing seasons in, um, to basically see what they needed to improve on, um, get some time to mature. These players are probably at the perfect point to be coached right now and be taken to the next level. They missed the playoffs last year. Um, so you're walking in with low expectations and you walk into a team with low expectations and all the tools already in place to easily turn it around. I think many people thought that they probably had enough to make the playoffs this past season. So probably had a lot to do with why Van Gundy got fired. He probably had um, way too much to work with for a guy that missed the playoffs. Yeah, and it's interesting, though, because they brought him in expecting him to be this, like, young talent motivator, similar to, I think, what the Knicks did with Tom Thibodeau. Um, But it just – it didn't seem to pan out. And from day one, you heard J.J. Redick saying, like, I got to deal with this again. Um, I think Stan's probably done coaching overall. Um, I don't see him potentially uh, getting another opportunity somewhere else, Um, but they do need somebody to come in there and to take control of that team. I agree with you. I think that's the most attractive destination overall. I think the second most is probably Boston uh, with the stars that they have there. Uh, The key difference I think between NOLA and Boston is you have with Boston so much history so many expectations going into the season that it's a tough place to be a coach. Uh, New Orleans, I don't think there's as many expectations, even though they do have that young talent. People will still say, you know, Zion still needs a couple of years or Brandon still needs a couple of years or this team is young and it's had several coaches within the last several years. So th- there will always be those sort of excuses. Boston, you're not going to get any of that. It's going to be you suck as a coach or you're, you're a great coach. Um, so I think those are the two most attractive destinations given their star power. Um, but overall, I think Boston will be the tougher place to coach. 
Yeah, I heard um, rumors too. I mean, Portland's not a awful situation to be in, although it's kind of volatile um, at the moment because we don't know if Damian Lillard will actually be staying there long term and if they're going to be committed to pairing him with CJ McCollum for the foreseeable future. But a name that's been thrown out um, for a couple of different vacancies is Jason Kidd, given that he's in that awkward situation um, with the Lakers. He was already previously a head coach. We all know that he wanted to be a head coach again, and he applied for that position for the Lakers and ended up not getting it. Um, they ended up hiring Frank Vogel, and then they strangely hired Jason Kidd, who is the runner-up for the position to be the assistant to the guy who won. So it's obviously not probably the way he would have envisioned it. So a lot of teams are looking at Jason Kidd as a potential young coach that might be able to step in um, and provide the kind of effect that young coaches that maybe don't have a lot of experience in the league coaching, but have a lot of experience with winning the way that Steve Kerr and Steve Nash have for the Nets and also for the Warriors. So I think a lot of people have him on their wish list. He's already said that he won't be interested in the Portland opening. It remains to be seen if he's a viable option for some other team. But what do you think are some of the most likely names to fill these vacancies, especially now that we know, at least for Portland's situation, Jason Kidd's already taken his name out of that hat? Yeah, so I think let's just focus on the two most attractive destinations overall. Um, I think for New Orleans, uh, like you said, it's a it's an interesting place to coach. You have a young team there um, that does have a lot of potential, a lot of talent. Um, I think that the the most exciting coach for a team like that would probably be bringing Mike D'Antoni down there. Um, I think that there are a lot of offensive uh, weapons on that team overall, and we all know how effective Mike D'Antoni-style teams can be on offense, and so I'd love to see Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, and Zion in that sort of free-flowing guns blazing offense obviously you'd still need to hire a defensive-minded coach on the assistant staff but I think Mike D'Antoni would be a great fit down there um, to really unlock the potential of Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson and that whole group offensively. Uh, going to Boston I think that yeah Jason Kidd is going to be in the rumor mill for every single position. Person who I'd love to see over there would be Chauncey Billups. Um, right now he's with the Clippers He's been talked about for several opportunities overall. Chauncey is a proven winner, true professional in the game. I think having him uh, coach that team, it would, I think, give them the sort of defensive prowess that they really need as a group. Um, and he was known for his defense overall, as well as his playmaking ability. So I think Chauncey would be a great locker room guy, uh, could really relate to the players and would really, um, I, I think, push that group to the next level. Yeah, honestly, those are really great um, options that you mentioned there. I think that Mike D'Antoni, similar to Jason Kidd, will be a name that's thrown out there a lot, especially since he's a proven commodity. And he's also in that weird situation where he is a head coach type of guy, but he is in an assistant coach role. So it may be that he decides to leave for one of these options. The difference is it seems to me that Jason Kidd is a young, hungry coach who still has his career ahead of him. 
So he's probably willing to jump on a lot of these opportunities if the right one presents itself. Whereas Mike D'Antoni probably would only go coach somewhere if it checked off every single box and was convenient for him. Because it seems at this point, he's only interested in coaching as long as it also doesn't become too taxing for him in his personal life. Um, so I think that he's probably a little bit tougher of a get. And then Chauncey Billups would also be a great hire, though, as you mentioned. I think the main concern with him is that a lot of the options that I've heard his name thrown around for are not in coaching, but in the front office as a general manager type or a front office guy. So it, it just remains to be seen what he wants to do. I think that he's obviously talented enough to succeed at either role. So um, those are both great. And then on a, on a smaller note, not really a coach, but Donnie Nelson, longtime general manager of the Mavericks, um, recently fired after reports of Luca doubting him. The rumor was starting up. Does Luca want to leave? Um, is there some kind of disconnect between the front office and Luca? Well, if you ever wondered how much Luca means to that franchise, say no more than firing your decade-long GM and Donnie Nelson. Yeah, the other piece that I saw with that one was that um, the there was a guy that they hired. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he has been very invested into like advanced analytics for the NBA, and he was a former like I I don't know if it was like a sports bookie or sports better overall, um, but just super into stats and has over the last year or two been going over Donnie's head straight to Cuban and to Rick Carlisle. And so I think that from this, yes, Donnie Nelson was a great asset, helped draft probably two of the gr greatest players to ever play, but definitely the two best players for the Mavericks ever with Luca and Dirk. Um, but in a game that is shifting more towards analytics and using numbers, it sounds like Donnie was a bit resistant of that and had the like old school mentality for things. So I think that this is just, you, you have an owner in Mark Cuban who is always looking to innovate, given that he is such a venture capital mogul, um, that if you don't innovate, well, then you're going to be booted out no matter how long uh, you've been with the organization. So I think I'll always be respected, but it was definitely, I think, a, a changing of the guard in terms of um, what the new guy brings. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see what you mean with that. It's just got to be rough on Donnie's end that um, you end up essentially drafting the player that is going to be the generational cornerstone for the rest of the franchise. You pull off what now seems to be a genius move in that swap for Trey Young. And the same guy is the one casting doubt. And now you're out over disputes of whether we're not properly surrounding this guy with the right fit based on these analytics. So it's interesting, but as you said, the league is changing and the Mavericks and Mark Cuban, always a team trying to be at the forefront of innovation. Yeah. But you know, it's, you draft the guy, but you haven't really surrounded him with much talent. Otherwise I think the Porzingis thing obviously didn't work out, but um, overall there haven't been overwhelming changes to really get anybody amazing around Luca. So I think that's another reason why he's out. But anyhow, moving on, talking about people who are out, a lot of stars were announced to be out today and yesterday um, and throughout the last week. 
Kawhi may miss the next couple of games or potentially the rest of the postseason due to an ACL injury. Kyrie is out with an ankle injury, at least for this series. CB3 is in the health and safety protocols and may miss some of the next series. However, reports today indicated that he might have been vaccinated in February, so probably not. But of those three injuries, which do you think is the biggest impact of the overall playoffs for the team? I think that uh, for the Clippers, this has to be the biggest loss. Um, obviously, all of these players are extremely important to their teams. But um, if you look at what Kawhi Leonard does for the Clippers, there's just absolutely no way that they can replace that on both, on, on both offense and defense and what he brings to the mentality of that team and, and um, the confidence that he gives the players when he's on the floor. He just does so many different things. And I think that a guy like Kevin Durant, um, especially when you look at the Nets, being in the position they're in right now, they're leading the series without Kyrie Irving. The Nets have basically been playing without a healthy team all year long. So it's obviously they're a little bit more shorthanded than usual right now. Um, I know James Harden just came back, even though he played terrible. He basically looked like he was injured the whole game. But um, Durant clearly was able to overcome this, dropping an all-time performance, which we'll get into later. But clearly, the loss of Kyrie, it can be overcome. Um, I think when you look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you lose him, you're now asking Paul George to be everything for this team. And I'm not saying that, you know, he's anywhere near as bad as everyone else makes him out to be because I've actually defended him in these playoffs. He's really shown up as a great Robin and as a great sidekick in these playoffs, um, really contributing. But now you're asking him, Mr. I'm no James Harden. Um, I'm not going to score every time to be the number one guy on both offense and defense. I think that's a tall order to ask, especially when the series is tied 2-2. And there's really no advantage for the Clippers at the moment. They really could have used every game um, from Kawhi Leonard. So I think for them, especially given that it's an ACL too, it's a lot worse. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the Chris Paul thing, I saw some funny memes that were talking about how they pretty much looked at LeBron and said, yeah, no, you're good. You can go through protocol. You're fine. And then Chris Paul, it's like, oh, nope, you might miss the whole next series, even though he's been vaccinated. <laughs> Um, I think his would definitely hurt from a leadership perspective, but they still have the talent with DeAndre Ayton's play, Bridges, Booker, to pull that off uh, against whoever they face, whether it is the, the Jazz or the Clippers. But for the Clippers, yeah, it's, it's completely detrimental to the team to lose Kawhi. Um, hey, while Paul George has excised some of his demons and kind of shed that moniker of playoff P, Kawhi Leonard is still the best player on that team. And so if you take him away, maybe they still are able to pull out one of those games if Gobert and Mitchell are off. But that's a lot to a, a lot of what ifs to go down uh, the rabbit hole with. So I think if Kawhi is out, I think they're going to get ousted in the next uh, two games and uh, be booted by the Jazz, um, which stinks for that team uh, because it seemed like they were finally pulling everything together and clicking after being down 2-0. Um, and I also wonder, like the news came out today, but the last game that was played is a few days ago. So how long has he been injured or was this something that happened during practice? Like I didn't really see any reports of what exactly happened there. 
Um, so that was they say that he sustained it towards the end of last game, that he was mm. playing with it, and towards the end of the game is when he sustained the injury. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, regardless of when it happened, it definitely sucks uh, no matter what for them, and hopefully it is just a sprain and he doesn't have to get uh, surgery for it. But, yeah, I, I think um, I, I think that's definitely the worst injury. The Kyrie thing, um, it, look, it sucks that he sprained his ankle. Um, we talked about this the last several episodes that injuries would be the number one thing that slowed down the nets or took them out of the playoffs completely. Um, while James Harden didn't really provide a, a boost last night, Kevin Durant did step up in a big way. So I think as long as two of their three stars are healthy, they still have a great chance of winning the overall uh, championship or at least making it to the finals. But uh, all in all, Kyrie's definitely stinks, but it's not as bad as the, um, other injuries uh, with Kawhi Leonard or even if Chris Paul were to miss a couple games. Yep, got to agree with that. Not to mention, um, even though not really getting the type of recognition he deserves right now because we're seeing seemingly history being made um, every other night, Donovan Mitchell himself is having a pretty historic run for the Jazz, um, dropping 30 points per game, I think in his last six in a row. So... Um, Without Kawhi Leonard to be able to match this type of offensive production with Jonathan Mitchell playing the way that he's playing, um, I really don't think that they'd have any chance without him. But um, moving on, all NBA teams and awards, we officially have the results for the all NBA first team selections. And Lonzo Ball is now officially announced to have won the Rookie of the Year award. But let's get Lamello. started with our Lamelo. <laughs> Sorry about that, but um, that's how it should have been. Lonzo was supposed to be the chosen one, but Lamelo ended up being everything that we thought Lonzo was going to be. But anyway, um, now that the All NBA teams are out, what did you make of the selections? What did you think was the most deserving selection, and who did you think was easily the biggest snub? Well, I mean, I think overall the most deserving selections are the clearly the the top two guys um, for the All-NBA. Nikola Jokic and Steph Curry both played out of their minds this season. Um, Jokic had one of the best performances of the season all in all, but also just like especially a big man as of late. Steph Curry tried his absolute hardest to get the Warriors to the playoffs and missed with the play-in games, but it was no fault of his own. Um, and then filling out, I mean, you can't really argue with the rest of the team, Luca, Giannis, Kawhi, um, all three amazing seasons as well. Um, you know, moving to the second and third teams, I would say like a, a snub, if you will, but even though the player is on the team, um, Rudy Gobert being third team, um, I think that he played uh, amazing this season. He clearly did because he won defensive player of the year so I think he should have had second team um, I know that they get into the whole like oh center versus forward but they have three forward spots in the uh, all-star game I think they could change it to have the same thing for the all NBA teams um, another two players that I think definitely got snubbed that a lot of people were talking about uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum um, they both had stellar seasons in their own right Donovan is probably the best player on the best team in the West, which is the best conference of the two. And he didn't even get on the third team. So I think that 
um, he should have been all in, an all NBA team. And that's the biggest snub I see. Also, it lost him, I think, like eight figures worth of uh, potential bonus money from his contract. So unfortunate for him. I know he'll make an all NBA team soon, but I think that, that was the biggest snub from my vantage point. Yeah, when I'm looking at these selections, we've got Giannis, Stefan, Curry, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, all on the NBA first team. It's probably one of the best NBA first teams that we've seen in um, recent memory, especially given the fact, like you mentioned, a lot of these are really hard to argue. I think that the only thing that I could maybe say on this NBA first team is that Luka Doncic, as phenomenal of a year as he had, I still think that Damian Lillard probably had a better year um, just in terms of individual performance. Also, in terms of team success, um, I'd say you can't really say that Doncic has an edge over him. So just off straight numbers, I would have probably picked Lillard ahead of him. But it's not like uh, picking Doncic was wrong. It's just a matter of a personal opinion. I think what is a little crazy, though, is putting Julius Randle on the All-NBA second team. I mean, he had a good year. Obviously, he won Most Improved Player. Very solid season for the Knicks. Um, the storyline is great. Brought the Knicks back from the dead, whatever you want to say. But I really don't think he's an All-NBA second team, especially not when I can think of a couple other players that didn't make any of these teams that probably were statistically more dominant than he was in a lot of areas of the game. So. Um, I think that that one was a little bit strange. And Rudy Gobert, I think, is aptly placed. I think he's actually kind of fortunate to make an all-NBA team because Rudy Gobert is more the type of player, in my mind, that belongs on the all-defense team. He doesn't really play um, both sides of the court. Rudy Gobert is not an all-NBA offensive talent, and I don't think that anybody could argue that. Um, if you're saying that he should deserve to be on an all-NBA team, then it's because you're basically saying that defense matters so much that you're willing to overlook um, the offense that he isn't providing because he's really not an offensive weapon. So in my mind, the biggest snub, um, obviously, Donovan Mitchell to be the best player on the best team in terms of record and not make an all-NBA team is pretty crazy. But the thing is, when you look at the actual selections, it's hard to argue that he should be in there ahead of the other guards that were put in. If I'm looking at the other guards ahead of him, I probably am not taking any of them out for Donovan Mitchell, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, the only player that I think definitely statistically was an absolute slap in the face to not have them in there, um, aside from Trey Young, is Zion Williamson, who was, by all accounts and purposes, a top 10 player in terms of offensive production in the league last season, he put up 27 points per game, which was eighth in the league with a PER of 27.17, which was fourth. He shot an incredible 61.1% from the field and he chipped in 7.2 rebounds, improved his free throw percentage. Um, that's probably the one guy that I think should have been in there. Definitely ahead of Julius Randle, in my opinion, and probably Rudy Gobert, too. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's hard, like you said, once you start staring at these rosters, you see it's really hard to replace some guys on there. So these guys will get their time, um, but definitely there were some snubs uh, to go around there. What did All you right. make of LaMelo Ball's Rookie of the Year award? Did you think that he deserved it? 
over Anthony Edwards. I know that Edwards made a really strong charge at the end. He made it real close. But um, apparently, LaMelo didn't miss enough games to lose the award. Yeah, I mean, this one was tough. Uh, but LaMelo is just such a special player, and he's definitely more of an all-around player than Anthony Edwards is. Um, I think, too, the fact that the Hornets got to where they did um, in the standings and uh, into the play-in, I think that um, it speaks to LaMelo's caliber as a player. I don't think anybody really expected the Hornets to make it where they did. Um, so I think that MJ found his uh, cornerstone piece for the foreseeable future. Um, and I do think that uh, LaMelo earned it over Anthony Edwards. Yeah, I got to agree with it. I think that he probably did deserve to win the award over Anthony Edwards. I think that if Anthony Edwards had been playing the way that he did towards the end of the season, um, if he had been playing that way all year long, then I probably would have given it to Anthony Edwards because he really did start showing um, the flashes of that all-star potential there at the very end. But um, I think that just the body of work over what he's been able to accomplish over a larger portion of the season probably puts LaMelo um, ahead of Anthony Edwards in my mind too. So I think he deserved to win. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I still think, though, that Anthony Edwards will wind up being the player with the higher ceiling of the two. So um, it remains to be seen if he'll end up keeping the title of the best rookie of this class as the years go on. All right. Well, we shall see. But now on to everyone's favorite segment, Plead Their Case. You'll ask me a series of questions, and I will plead the case as to why something is the way that it is. Let's do this. All right. Let's do it. KD scores 49 points and posted a triple-double with 17 rebounds and 10 assists to win game five against the Bucks, plead his case on why he may be enough alone to bring the Nets a championship. Well, it's because he's posting the most amount of points that he has ever in a playoff series with 33.1. Um, he is shooting his second highest effective field goal percentage at 58.6% on the year. Um, he's almost in the 40, 50, 90 club, just a hair short on his free throw percentage. Um, I said this an episode or two ago, I think he's having the best postseason of any, any player. This is after being injured for most of the season after coming off of Achilles injury. So, you know, that he is rusty and he's still playing out of his mind. Some of the best basketball that he's ever played yesterday, James Harden, uh, could not really get anything going overall and he still went out there and dominated Giannis so I think that uh, Kevin Durant is enough overall I think that having those other guys on the floor just make his life easier so he can score more at ease um, but when you're a team like the Bucks and you do not put the defensive player of the year in Giannis Antetokounmpo on Kevin Durant for the entirety of the game then you're going to get worked and you're going to get beaten by Kevin Durant. So Slim Reaper took them yesterday. I can see him continuing to carry them throughout the playoffs. Yeah, I got to agree with that, especially given that it doesn't seem to matter who defends Kevin Durant when he's got it. He can make any shot. He just gets to his spots. It doesn't matter if there's a hand in his face. He's knocking it down. There's really not much you can do about it when he gets yeah. into the kind of zone he was in last night. Yeah, but, uh, I saw on. a video. Oh. Well, no, I saw a video come up uh, on our feed that was uh, Lou Will and Pat Beverly 
I think it was from a few years back uh, when they were playing the Clippers versus Golden State in the playoffs. And they are interviewing them at a press conference. And they're like, did you did you try to stop Kevin Durant? And he was like, how? We tried. We threw everything at him. He's Kevin Durant. Like, he's one of the best players in the world. I don't understand what you expect us to do about this. Like it's we we weren't going out we weren't going out there and saying oh please continue to score on us like we were trying it just he makes it look so easy and these are two guys I mean Pat Beverly specifically who's known for his gritty defense and he's just like I I live no one can stop this guy he's a machine but moving on to another great player in this postseason another all time great as mentioned CP three maybe out to start the series against Phoenix or uh, maybe out to start the series for Phoenix in their next round, plead their case on why they may have a shot to advance to the finals if he can't return. Well, I mean, I think it starts with Devin Booker. Um, You know, he has, this is his first playoffs that he's ever played and he's averaging 27.9 points per game. Uh, That's the most points per game that he's averaged for like, any of his regular season play. Um, And so he is probably the only player who has not fallen to the Kardashian curse. Um, He is almost at a 40, 50, 90 himself in terms of efficiency. Uh, And he's doing all of this while averaging still about five assists and seven rebounds a game. So he's playing a very complete game. I think it definitely hurts, but I think CP3 being there this season has definitely helped Devin Booker evolve as a player. I'm sure he's seeing different passing lanes, different scoring opportunities in a different light compared to what he did in his previous seasons. Monty Williams is uh, a great coach in the league and um, has arguably uh, been the coach of the year this season. So they still have that going for them. And DeAndre Ayton has been absolutely dominant. So while it does hurt from CP3's mentorship, leadership, and um, just overall presence on the court, they still have the pieces to contend with any team over the course of seven games. So it'll hurt, but it won't hurt that much. Yeah, I got to agree with you. They're one of the only teams that are in this playoff field where you can look at a box, at a, a box score and see a victory for that team and see that not a single player scored over 20 points. They're one of the only teams that has that sort of distribution. So I agree with you. Um, they rely the least on one player of any team left in the field. So it stands to reason that they would be the best at withstanding any um, unforeseen losses. Moving on to the league MVP, Nikola Jokic ejected after swiping at campaign. Looked a little bit like an overreaction on, on on my opinion, but they end up throwing him out. He gets ejected. Plead the ref's case on why the ejection was warranted. Yeah, this one's tough. Um, I I wouldn't take this case if I was arguing on behalf of the refs. Um, there was really, from what I saw, maybe he made some incidental contact, and yeah, it might have been an aggressive swipe at the ball, but realistically, he didn't um, like he didn't really hit him in the face that hard. It looked like he skimmed him in the face on his way to actually making contact with the ball. So it wasn't like he just smacked him while also smacking his face without any sort of effort to go for the ball. Um, so obviously it was a frustration foul. He's really upset that he missed uh, a, a good opportunity there, but it's the third quarter in a elimination game for the Nuggets. They eliminate the MVP 
depth of of the league out of the game and pretty much just take any chance that they have of coming back in that game. It wasn't even that much of a blowout to really um, say that him coming out was not going to affect the game. So I think that um, it was very detrimental to the league and you've seen other players have similar types of fouls and not be ejected. So I, I don't really know what was going on there. Yeah, I agree. I think the general rule is if you make a play on the ball, then it's not um, an ejectable foul if you're making a play on the ball. But um, I mean, I, you know how the league is these days, it's a little bit soft. They probably jumped the gun a little bit on the call. You never want to see a referee make a call that determines the outcome of the game, especially in the playoffs. But hopefully now that it's been um, a play that's been under so much scrutiny and has been talked about, um, in such a negative light for refereeing, maybe the league will be a little bit more cognizant of not jumping the gun so fast, especially on an ejection call like that. All right. Well, with that, I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Sir. Court is adjourned. <laughs>